You're listening to The Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay tuned for economic uplift. It's all about the money. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. One, it's your man DJ Seiko Varner, and I'm here with my good brother, Dr. Charles Corpru. How you doing, Doc? I'm good, brother. How you doing, man? Okay, man. Okay, okay. I know that you have a great podcast that I listen to, and you're doing a lot of work in the area of masculinity. Take a couple of seconds and introduce yourself and introduce the What's Your Revolution concept, and then let's talk about healthy masculinity. Go, 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 go. Always, always proud resident of Breen Run High School class of 1989, largest graduating class in Virginia State history. Okay. Always, everything. I uh, have to give credence to uh, the place where it all started, man. Love Breen Run High School. It's been a part of who I am for you know, the last 30 years. All right, Stallion Pride. I work at Green Run High School. I'm not a former Stallion, but I'm Stallion in heart now. I've been there yeah, long enough. So. Hey, I bleed Kelly Green, Royal Blue and White, brother. Uh-huh. Yeah, rock that green. All right, all right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I have a PhD from uh, Tulane in psychological science, was a former professor of psychological science at Loyola University, and then four years ago started a consulting firm called What's Your Revolution? And What's Your Revolution is really about helping individuals and organizations think about their own personal revolution and how they can spark a global revolution based on that. And so I work with school divisions, nonprofits, uh, local and state governments in trying to figure out what that revolution is for them and then help them to fulfill their mission so they can then instill that revolution into their constituents that they serve. So I spend a lot of a lot of time working, as you know, with superintendents, C-suites, so C-level teachers, administrators, executive directors of nonprofits, uh, doing a lot of different things, professional developments, coaching, um, facilitating missions, strategic planning, as well as looking at how to fulfill their own personal revolution. So that's what that is. And really, if someone were to ask me what my revolution is, it's really about how do I find the healthiest version of myself? And so when I began this, it was always this topic about what is healthy, what is healthy masculinity? Okay. okay. So we actually think about masculinity from a, a, a binary perspective. So I actually wanted to get away from this concept of healthy masculinity and to talk about how we find the healthiest version of ourselves, And what does that look like for each person? And so that's where I am in my show, the What's Your Revolution show is really a conversation for men and the people who love them about how men can embrace and understand the healthiest version of themselves. And they actually define what that looks like for them. Okay. Why did the concept of revolution become so um, passionate for I me? Mean, why'd you become so passionate about the concept of revolution? It's interesting you asked me that, dear brother. Um, as I sat in graduation, at Tulane's graduation in 2011, Tom Friedman was the speaker, the graduation speaker. And Tom Friedman is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, columnist for the New York Times. Okay. And he began to weave what was going on in 2000, the spring of 2011, the Arab Spring. But we were also going through here in America an opportunity, well, not an opportunity, we were still going through a recession. Right, right. Probably was still bringing us out of the recession that we had been through in 2008, 2009. And one thing, as Tom Friedman said, as we were getting out of you know classes in school and graduating, is that it was going to be the worst time for us to actually go find a job. One of the worst times in American history for 
graduates to actually go out and look and achieve employment. But it was also one of the best times in American history for people to go out and actually create a job. As you saw with Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat, all of the different things that have been invented now, Uber, it was a wonderful period in time for people to say that I'm not gonna go look for a traditional job. I'm actually going to figure out how to create something that is going to bring the masses to me. And so it resonated with me because he wove revolution. He wove how Twitter and Facebook were the catalyst for the revolutions over in the Arab Spring and Tunisia and mm. Egypt. And so it just resonated with me and it, it had me to begin to ask my own self, what was my revolution? And it has always been for me, how do I evolve as a man of color, as a black man? As you know, we wake up black and male every day. And everything that I have done in my adult life has been for young African-American males. Okay. So how could I take my research, my consulting, uh, the work that I was even doing on myself and make that greater so people could see that, hey, Charles is doing this type of work, so can I. And so that's what this is all about. It really comes through Tom Friedman saying it was a wonderful time for people to go out and create their own revolution. And that's what I did. I went out and created, I, you know, my research is all about hyper-masculinity. I was able to turn that into my consulting around in education. And now with the radio show, it just even promotes it even more. This is the revolution that I'm taking to the masses to try to ensure that people can find the healthiest versions of themselves. Interesting, interesting. Now, was Tom Friedman the sole person with the concept of revolution that really piqued your interest in being a revolutionary? Yeah, I, I don't think that I thought about it that way before that speech. You know, graduation speeches, you're ready to get out of there. You know, it, it's New Orleans, it's Tulane graduation. I'm ready to go. <laughs> right, 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 right. Go. Um, the only reason I went to graduation that day was actually because Stevie Wonder was singing. It was getting an honorary PhD, and I wanted to see Stevie for free. And right. So, but once Tom got up and really, you know, his words resonated. Like I have his speech up on my wall in my office, so I can see it. I carry it with, you know, I carry it. It's on my computer, so I can always go back to see exactly what he was saying. When I lose sight of, you know, what's going on. You know, as he brought in Rosa Parks, you know, you have these, and, and, and what he did was really historically talk about revolutionaries across American history. You know, if we didn't have Rosa Parks, if we didn't have Martin Luther King, these revolutionary figures in our history that actually changed something. If we didn't have Martin Zuckerberg, where would we be? How would we be using Facebook now to market, you know, market our companies? How do we use Instagram to market our companies? Our every, everyday things, I mean, you know, all of my hashtag is always, what's the revolution? That's how I market. That's a revolutionary tactic in itself. To be able to get people to see that, boom, right there. What's he talking about? I love it. I love it. I've always been attracted to revolutionaries. And Tom Friedman is not one that I thought of or actually had been exposed to until we had earlier discussions. So I'm glad to... Uh, add him to my revolutionary repertoire. Um, so right. revolution, the concept of revolution got you to developing your own company. Your company helps people find the re-evolution, the revolution within themselves. How does that happen? So you sit down with the superintendent and he says, um, some of our schools have not met 
AYP, some of our schools are not fully accredited. We need to re-evolve. We need to continue evolving. We need to have a revolution in our school. How do you help facilitate that? The first thing, Seiko, is that we actually have to have a conversation about where they are because this is social change and this really is about social justice. Ooh, social change and social justice. Interesting. Social justice. Continue. Because you have to think about you, you have to think about it in a in a manner that you have to be ready and willing to see that there are disparities happening under your watch, and for mm-hmm. some leaders, that is not apparent or something that they're actually looking for. And so I'm fortunate, you know, my first client was Virginia Beach Public Schools, and my first leader was Aaron Spence, Dr. Aaron Spence. Who salute is, that, salute that. Yeah. He's a good brother. I love he, him. He is, um, but. What we got to see in working together was that he had the foresight already to do the hard work. When I got to be able to work with the school division, he had asked those questions already. But with working with leaders who have not asked those questions already, I've got to get them to see where their personal privilege, their personal bias, uh, and their, how they vacillate between marginalization and privilege before they can even go ask the questions of the people, of their subordinates who have privy to that information. If they're not there, if we haven't done the deep homework about their own personal bias and how they see themselves in the, the, the vastness of this world, if they haven't looked, if they haven't addressed their privilege and understand. So, you know, one of the things in a great conversation with Aaron is Aaron understands his privilege as a large, smart, intelligent white man. But he is working for social justice and social change and understands his place. But he also uses his privilege for power. And so when you have when you have privilege and you understand your privilege, you have to be able to reach back and say, you know what? That's wrong. And so I work with leaders very early in very early in the process for them to see that they have the opportunity to actually revolutionize their school divisions or their nonprofits or their agencies by looking deeply within themselves first because it then trickles down to the rest of their senior leadership, it trickles down to their administrators, it trickles down to the teachers, it trickles down to the parents, it trickles down to the students because they have to also think about where they are. But if I cannot get a senior leader to think through that, the process is not gonna work. They're gonna bring me in, I'm gonna do a professional development, I might talk to their teachers, I might talk to their administrators, it's checking the box and it doesn't work. The hard work really begins with personal revolution around seeing yourself in context, in space, as you vacillate between marginalization and privilege. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Now, I can stick on the concept of revolution all day. I know you can as well. But one of the things I also really love about you, brother, is this focus on healthy masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I know you've kind of moved away from that term a little bit, but tell me about your, your time, you know, learning about, struggling with, and using the concept of healthy masculinity to help somebody's personal revolution. Well, I can only, not only, I'll talk about me. So I'm at, I'm at this right. I'm at this phase where I am open and vulnerable about who I am in my walk. And so for me, trying to trying to figure out what does the healthiest version of Charles Corporal look like is a struggle. It's a tremendous struggle, but. 
it allows me to dig deep and ask the questions about who I want to be. What does that actually look like? Wow. Um, looking, looking at my struggles when it comes to women uh, and the relationships that I've had with women and wanting to be the best partner that I can be. And what does that actually look like for me? Understanding my partner's needs, being able to tell my partner what my needs are, uh, being strong, to be a leader, to be loving, to be intimate, to be caring, to be communicative, all those things, but to also be a role model. And so, you know, we, we I can't say we, I won't, I won't put you in. I grew up in the, in the mindset of that player, that player mindset, you know, that it, it, it was cool to have a lot of women. It was cool to lie. It was cool to, you know, play. Right. You know, right. It was cool. You don't realize until you get older the the swath of pain that you cause with that mentality. The, the pain, the pain not only you cause women, but the pain that you actually cause yourself. Yourself, right? Yeah. Right. And right. so, you know, and and thinking through that, why is that? And so, for me, as I as I've gone through this process. It's really now the, the healthiest version of me wants to have intimacy. And what does that actually look like for me? And what does that actually look like for men? We don't talk about that. We don't talk about intimacy. It's not something that men regularly sit around. Hey, dog, you know, I'm really looking. I'm really looking for some intimacy. We right, just don't. Talk. Right, 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 right. You know, and for me, I want to get that out there is that, you know, it, it, it's OK for us to talk about that. It's okay to, you know what I'm saying, that I wanna I wanna cuddle with my woman. I wanna have conversation with her, you know, after you know we've done our after we've done our thing. Cause uh, you know, real intimacy is not the act, but it's about the act and what happens before and after. True. True. You know, um, the interesting thing about uh, there's a hormone that we secrete. It's called oxytocin. Have you ever heard of it? You know, you know I study psychology, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And the interesting thing about it, you would think that men would secrete more oxytocin at orgasm, like women do. Right? right. Men don't. Men actually secrete more oxytocin during kissing and mm-hmm. holding hands uh, and things like that. That's and, and oxytocin is that bonding hormone. And so holding hands and kissing, cuddling, actually we secrete more oxytocin. And so it's really interesting when you talk about intimacy and bonding, that as you get older, that's what you want. But if you don't, if you haven't learned how to do that, if you haven't learned how to give yourself and be intimate with someone, you don't you don't have that ability to bond. And and you know, for me right now, forty six single and no kids, the revolution is trying to find the healthiest version of me so I can have an intimate, I can be intimate with a partner to give myself so I can achieve those goals. Now you know, it's interesting to me that our oxytocin levels rise with age, with men. Mm. If you look at older men, they're around children, they're that grandfather figure, you know, they're always, you know, talking with everybody and they're interactive more so and they're less playeristic than they were earlier. Right. Women, it's the opposite. Right, right. You know, (laughs) it's interesting to see how women bond. You know, and and what they're looking for. You, th- you think about why men cheat and why women cheat, and how they do. Right, and right, right. Men cheat typically physically, mm-hmm. um, and men typically can can separate the physical act from the mental the mental interest into the act. So, but women, for them to cheat, they have to be consciously, emotionally involved for the for the most part. 
in that. If they're gonna cheat, they're gonna be, they're emotionally involved in the process. They're emotionally involved in that person. Men can separate and be like, you know, I, I, I'm just gonna hit it. Right, and, right. Yeah, and so it's really interesting to see that. Um, I've often looked at it physiologically. The fact that a woman is allowing somebody to enter her mm-hmm. is a much more intimate act right. than me entering and leaving. Right, exactly. I'm entering and leaving but she was entered. So, you know, that's one, well, it kind of harkens exactly what you're speaking of. And you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, and, and, and there's some controversy with evolutionary theory, but for women, they, they have a lot to lose. The risk is greater for them, particularly if they are impregnated. And then because the resources come with the man, particularly, theoretically. And so what if the man takes his resources away and she's left with the child? Now she's got to figure out how to gain resources to raise the child. And so there's a discernment about who I'm going to let enter me. There's no, there's, there's less discernment for men. And so that's why you see, theoretically, from an evolutionary perspective, men will actually copulate with less attractive women when they know that they're going to actually pull their resources once the act, once the act is over. I, I do think that most of us here in America have been raised where the player the one who had a lot of women, was looked at as the ultimate example of masculinity. Right. If it wasn't for older men talking to me when I started dating, I would have totally bought into that because it looked attractive to me. It it looks very attractive. And it's rewarding. It's very rewarding. It can be rewarding. It's, It's almost addictive. I was forced to grab the idea that every person that I have a relationship with, particularly women that I date, needed to be a better person after our interaction than before. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. Now, I'm 13 years old and I'm just trying to get with these girls and these old guys are beating me down with this rhetoric saying, you need to make sure that after you stop dealing with her, she's a better person. She's not scarred. She's not hurt. She doesn't hate men. Right. You know, and now that really prevented me <laughs> in many ways from truly being player risk. You know, I had these guys telling me, look, if you want to have sex with a bunch of women, don't lie to them. If you don't lie to them, you'll still have sex with a lot of them. Now, maybe not all of them, <laughs> but you'll have sex with a lot of them. Right. You have to be honest. You have to lay all the cards out on the table because a person that wants to have an intimate time with you is going to want to have an intimate time with you unless something overrides it. So that's the kind of stuff I was kind of banged in the head with. And now I see the beauty of it. I hated it, you know, when I started dating because it prevented me from having the same times that my friends and my frat brothers like yourself were having. Right. And that's, you know, that's a very, that's a very revolutionary concept in itself that I, I never heard. I never heard that, you know, that you and should. I hated it. <laughs> huh? And I hated it. But you, you think about the comparisons of the man that you are and the man that I have been, you know, I think more of our young men need to hear that. I think that I, I needed to hear that a long time ago. You know that you should be you should leave women better if you're going if you you know if you're going to leave she should be in a better place and it's a very hard concept in theory but you should be able to leave a woman you know and that she thinks better of herself 
because of the experience that she had with you. Instead of saying, you know what, I don't trust men, he was a dog, all of these different things. And so that gets back to the concept now that we have opportunities as men to really think about how do we treat, how do we think of ourselves in this and how do we treat the women that we interact with? You know, and, and so I think that more men need to, more of our boys need to hear that concept. More of our boys need to hear that. You know, and I think that you have a platform to be able to say that to young boys as they begin their dating ritual. That how you treat a woman should be reflective of how you treat your mother, uh, how you love your mother. That you, she should be able to think more of herself and less of herself if it ends. And I think, you know, I'm almost sad that I never heard that. What I heard was, go get it, you know, do your thing. You know, it's okay to be, you know, it, like you said, it was glamorous to be a player. Yeah, yeah. So what does healthy masculinity look like? I'm still I'm still trying to answer that question, Seiko. And I think that the best answer that I can give you right now is that each individual has to define what that looks like. But first, they have to understand what is unhealthy look like Ooh, okay 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 so they've got to understand what unhealthy and so as we have this conversation i can i can tell you the unhealthy habits that i've had you know we just sat here and talked about my relationships with women you know and so as i move to be the best version of myself i understand that i know that i need to have better relationships with women that I need to be honest with myself and that I need to and one of the and one of those things to be about being honest with is being honest about what I need particularly from an intimate perspective and so and not being afraid to say that I like sex I like to have sex a lot and this is what I need and I think men are men are punished for actually saying that oh my god you're just a pig you're no men should be able to say I like to have sex I like to have a lot of sex. I would like to have sex, a lot of sex with one partner, right? If you don't want to have it with one partner, you need to be honest. I like to have sex, a lot of sex with multiple partners. But you need to be honest with yourself and the people who are in your life and be able to say that. And as you like, as you said, people have the opportunity to make up their minds about if they want to be with you or not. Right. Men, men should not be afraid to say that, but they also have to know if they have unhealthy behaviors that are precipitating how they interact with other people in the world. It sounds to me like you're saying the healthy portion of the relationship, of the masculinity, is the honesty. That's one piece of it. Uh, okay. I, I, that is one piece of it. I think honesty. What are the other pieces? Honesty and integrity, honesty, integrity, confidence, altruism. And so being able to think about others more so than you think of yourself. And so... For me, the other part of the, the answer to what's a revolution is that your personal revolution should be able to impact someone else's. So as, as I go through this journey of finding the healthiest version of myself, I should be able to talk about this and help someone else who is actually maybe going through similar things or hasn't even thought about it. If you can give of yourself to other people without the, the thought that there's a return, that's forming the healthiest version of yourself. To be able to be able to love, to be you know, to be able to love, and think about that from a perspective of what, is, what does that feel like to love and to be loved and be able to accept love. 
Mm, mm. I think that's one of one of the key things that we have to think about in, in this healthiest version of ourselves is that what does it actually feel like to be loved? And what does it actually feel like to give love in a manner that is receptive, that is mature, that is appreciative? So things like that. And, and as I said, this is still an evolving process, Seiko. So being able to answer this question, what is the healthiest version of ourself look like? It is an individual thing. And I think it has to go back for you understanding that what, what am doing the analysis about what are my flaws? Where am I unhealthy? And it may be substance abuse. It may, it may be looking, you may have mental health issues that you're not addressing like depression, rage, anger, anxiety, personality disorders, things like that that actually need to be addressed so you can find healthier, the healthiest version of yourself. Interesting, interesting. It really sounds like the uh, 444 album. <laughs> and I see that on your uh, website, you actually had two episodes where you talked about Jay-Z's 444 album, the female perspective and the analysis of it. And I tell you, man, that's the analysis that he did of his earlier behaviors where he took responsibility for things, but where he also put a vision out and, and, and talked about legacy and, you know, those types of things in the album really harken back to what you've talked about with healthy masculinity and having a revolution. Tell me a little bit about why you would even talk about Jay-Z's album. You've just said it. You, you put it into perspective in a, in a sense that after hearing what he was saying, particularly, particularly in um, 444, it, it takes a man, you know, and I, I'm sorry that it takes some of us longer than others. You know, Jay-Z's 47, 48, um, I'm 46. But this is, this is an opportunity. This is his revolution. This is his opportunity to show his flaws, to show his vulnerability, that, that wretched V word that men want to run from, that to show his vulnerability. 444 is his love song to Beyonce. It's saying that I, I am flawed. I am a man. I love you. You you are my existence. You are my queen. I have messed up. And so, yes, he's going to make a ton of money off this, but it really is a platform for him to show other men that you can be fucked up and, and come out of it. Now, it's interesting. You said it was his love song to Beyonce. I think it was his love song to life, to hip-hop, to the hip hop community. I mean, he talked about things and bad decisions that he made financially and bad decisions he made emotionally. He talked about how Vernal, uh, how he didn't realize his ego had gotten in the way with some of his bad decisions. And he also talked about wanting to be a better father and starting to think about what's gonna happen when my children really find out what I've done. Yeah. You know, when I get knocked off that pedestal, when I'm not Superman anymore, when they see my flaws. I think it starts off, you know, with his love for Beyonce, but I think it was even bigger than that. He also talks to us about, you know, seeing finances in a larger scale. Right. The, the uh, story of OJ. Let me just say this one thing. So I, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And, and the reason why I say it's a love, it's a, a love story, a love note to Beyonce, because who else would you tell your flaws to? You know what? He has a line in there where he said, I would not want another woman to know more about me than you. Right. And so, yeah, it, he's talking to his wife. 
Mm-hmm. He's saying with my beloved person, my spouse, my special person, I want to make sure that you're so special that you know everything, everything. and more than other people do. I'm going to truly open myself to you. And I think that was a really strong moment of masculinity. Mm-hmm. We want partnership. I think many of us want partnership. And I know that's something that I want. Okay. And I don't know, I don't know if I know, I do know it, excuse me, let me let me take it back. I do know what partnership actually looks like. I do know what that looks like. I've had that, I've had that a couple of times. I know what it looks like. I just want to know what it looks like for a sustained period of time. Whoa, whoa, longevity. Yeah, and knowing what my role is in that and what my partner's role in that. And, and also hearing what her needs are, but her hearing what my needs are as well. And I think communication is one of those things that is very tough between men and women. And women hear one thing and we hear another thing and trying to find that balance between what I'm saying and what you're saying, because we may, we, our lenses are always going to be different because our upbringing, we're going to bring life experiences in. But how do we, how do we tune those lenses in so that they mesh a little bit so we can see the, we can see the concept together based on our individual lens. I hear you. I understand because that means I need to understand where your lens is coming from in the first place. Because if you don't understand, if I can't understand where my partner's lens is coming from, I'm never going to see her version of this. And she's never going to see mine. Hmm. So it's key. I think it's very key. I think that he tries to communicate that in fo fo fo. Okay. Uh, I see that you had a conversation that dealt with mindfulness. <laughs> and that's a, that's a conversation that I was having with uh, Dr. Parrott one of the people who works with Virginia Beach City Public Schools recently, uh, and also with um, Todd Tarkin. So um, tell me about mindfulness and how that relates to healthy masculinity. As you know, we carry, many of us carry a lot of rage. We, let's say we wake up black and male every day. We deal with racism and discrimination, prejudice. All stereotypes that characterizes us as thugs, oversexed, all of these different things. And so how do you make that walk during the day? You walk out with your armor on. And so for me, finding the healthiest version of myself is really the meditations that I do in the morning and my yoga practice. Yes, I said yoga. Okay, okay. okay. My, my yoga practice. And I've been doing about, I've actually been doing yoga a lot this year tough yoga is one of the toughest workouts that i have during my week but as we as we make our walk during the day to calm ourselves we have to be able to get back to the breath the breath is the calming to be mindful of our our space to be mindful to live in the moment to not think in the past or the future but, but to be mindful to be present in the space to experience everything that is in that space uh, to think joyfully, to think powerfully, to think <clears throat> fearlessly. It's a pattern of how you train the mind. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, Eckhart Tolle has a, a book, very good book. It's called The Power of Now. It's a very good book and really centers on how you, you relieve yourself of everything, future and past, and focus in on these moments as you and I are talking. What's happening? 
what's our surroundings? How is this conversation? Not thinking about what, what's going to happen at the end of this conversation or not thinking about the kayaking that I did an hour ago. It's, it's really being present in this space, the mindfulness of it. Um, I know that I'm a stronger man when I meditate, that I can take on the daggers of the day when I meditate. I am more angry when I don't. And so being, being mindful is, is, is a part of, is a, is a definite part of finding the healthiest version of myself. Wow. Um, I've listened and I study a lot of very successful, proactive, risk-taking, accomplished people. And I would say 95% of them meditate. What form of meditation do you use? So I just you know, sit on my couch for about 20 minutes, 12, 12 to 20 minutes, and visualize, so I'll, I'll visualize my day. And so that's a practice that I've actually just incorporated. Met a, uh, a beautiful young woman uh, about a month and a half ago in a coffee shop, and she talked about visualization. And so I've been able to take that, you know, just from that one conversation, you know, about visualization. And so she talked about how she visualizes her day, how she visualizes success. If she's got a meeting that she's got to go to, she thinks about how she's going to visualize what she's going to say and how she's going to say it. And even sometimes the reactions that may come, she, she prepares herself. Right, 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 right. And then it's really about what do I want to bring into my day? So most oftentimes it's joy. I want to bring joy into my day. So I will inhale joy and I will exhale anger. So I want to release all of the anger that's in me. You know, or I'll, I will inhale resilience and exhale insecurity. So it's always the exhale is, is, is getting what I need out of my body and inhaling what I need in my body. So that's my meditation, um, particularly during that 12 to 20 minute period. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of the very highly successful people. And when I look back, a lot of the people that I've looked up to, when I really got a chance to talk with them, they were open about their strategies many of them did talk about meditation. Uh, I grew up in a home, you know, my father was a minister. And one of the things that he used to point to me, and I never picked it up until later on, is there were passages in the canonized Bible that talk about meditate on this. Mm -hmm. And then it talks about Yeshua or Jesus meditating, but they describe him. If you look through a lot of the descriptions of uh, the Christ, there were times when he meditated. You know, he's in a boat and he's asleep, but he's really meditating and he's still in control of everything. He goes up on hills and he meditates. He does things for 40 days and for long periods of time and he's meditating. And then he comes back with revelation. He's able to come back with strategy. He's able to come back with a way to carol and to galvanize the troops, if you will. Um, so it looks to me like meditation is a very important thing for strong leadership. And listen to everything that you said. Healthy masculinity has a very strong component of leadership. Yes, yes. And that's one thing that I'm working on now is building this leadership institute that is both that is equitable, diverse and inclusive. And so as leaders, as men in leadership positions, again, going back all the way back to that conversation we had earlier about understanding how we how our presence is felt in space, understanding our bias, our privilege, our marginalization. And so being able to have and go through an institute with a diverse group of people who can unpack their, unpack the unhealthiest parts of them and then create the healthiest version of themselves together in a diverse, equitable, and inclusive perspective, 
I think is going to change and revolutionize how men lead. And so I think, you know, and particular how we lead and how we understand, you think about what's going on in our country and what are we seeing? We're seeing a, a fight for traditional masculinity and the push back against it, particularly traditional white male hegemonic masculinity. Oh, huh, huh. you hit me with a word, hegemonic. <laughs> <laughs> Hedmonic is just the traditional masculinity. Right, know? right, right, right. So, as you see, white men feel like their masculinity is being circumcised. circumcised. Um, That's but, why they feel the need to take America back. Right, exactly. And so you see this, we want to make America great again. For them, white men have always been at the forefront of, of leadership. And what, what was the, in and, and, and leadership back in the day was, you could, the, the ruling class, one of the biggest pieces to be a leader was you had to have what? Go ahead and say it, go ahead and say land. it. You had to have land, mm-hmm. so land. And so you, you think about who owns most of the land, the money and all of these, it, it's still that way. And so it's interesting, this, but this push, you're, you're seeing this push from black and brown folks, you know, that are, that are reshaping what it looks like to be man, to be masculine. And so you're seeing this pushback, this this violent pushback. And, and what happens is that when, 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 privilege, when privilege is challenged, it actually feels like oppression. And so that, that's, that's the interesting piece. And so right now they feel like their masculinity is, they feel oppressed because, oh my God, what do you, well, you're pushing against our masculinity. This is what it's always been. It's always been this way. Right, right, right. I really feel like America pushing back. I feel like America is having a Custer moment. You you heard of Custer's last stand, and that's when they really fight back the hardest. Okay, they got pushed to the corner. They lost a couple of battles, and now they say, "Hey, we really have to go forth and win this battle." And I think that's kind of what we're struggling with in terms of the culture of America, because when the ruling class loses control of the culture they slowly lose control of the land so i totally agree with you on that so it's it's a very interesting time and what i want men to realize during during this leadership institute is that we have the ability to come together and actually be stronger and for some people you have to couch it in arguments in the economy like why why is a diverse nation where, where people have the opportunity to go out and buy land and be productive you know, more amenable, you know, more productive. Because you think about it from an economic perspective. If you have more people going out and finding the jobs and being paid higher wages, they're paying more into the tax base. But that thought is not there. There's this feeling that we're losing power. And power is intoxicating. And when you've had it for so long and you feel like it's being lost, you're going to fight as much as possible to try to keep it or regain it. And so that's what we're seeing. And so that's why Donald Trump resonates so much with certain groups of people because they have felt like, oh my God, you know, you care more about them than our our masculinity, our rights, where we've always been, make America great again. And so it's very interesting when I hear make America great again. And what do you mean? <laughs> and the, the juxtaposition is make America white again. And so, you know, you, the numbers, these numbers that we're seeing out, 
2025, 2030, 2035, where the majority of people in this country will be what they consider minority or people of color. That's very scary for people. You know, when you've been the majority for so long and you've dictated rules, policies, programming, and practice, and all of a sudden now you've got people of color who are coming. And you think about, you know, one of the things that we have to think about as African-Americans is that we're not the largest minority group in the country anymore. Well, you know, I, I've always distanced myself from the term minority because I always thought global rather than, but exactly. I, I understand your point. I definitely understand your point. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left to hear. Uh, we're going to be shut off pretty soon. What can the listener walk away with? What's the return on investment? They listen to, you give some great information, but now they need some items that they can take away and start acting on. Can you give us three or four things that the person who listened this far, who invested this much time into what you've shared, can start doing in their lives so they can have a revolution? So I think asking themselves, being able to take that hard look in the mirror and saying, who am I now? And who do I wanna be? And that's, that's the biggest thing that I think people have to ask themselves is that who am I now and who do I want to be? And if you're not, if, if, if those two things are not in line, you've got to be in, you have to begin to ask yourself, how do I get to be the person that I want to be? And so listing down, these are the unhealthy things that I, that I do and really recognizing them and then saying, okay, how am I actually going to change that? So if it, this unhealthy thing is that I'm a liar. All right, and you can you can actually pinpoint that. What do you have to do to really begin to have integrity and honesty in your life? I think that's one of the things. Uh, being able to set goals for yourself. I think you know, people don't talk much about that. But being able to set goals, realistic goals for your transition into the healthiest version of yourself. So in three months, I'm going to do this. In six months, I'm going to do this. In a year, I'm going to evaluate to see where I am in the process and see, am I this? Am I to this point of this image of where I want to be? Surround yourself with other people who are doing hard work on themselves. And I think that's critical. We don't often, we don't often get in groups with people who are doing hard work on themselves. People that you can, that will hold you accountable. Part of the Leadership Institute that I'm talking about is a group of men who hold each other accountable. We don't have accountability partners. And the one thing that we don't do is we don't challenge each other when we're messing around with 10, 12, 15 women. Nobody says to the man, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Who's gonna hold you accountable for your behavior? So I, I think that that is key, having, having a group of people, men and women, who are gonna be able to hold you accountable for your behavior. I think that that is crucial for finding the healthiest version of yourself. Goal setting, having a pack, you know, some people call it a mastermind, uh, a mastermind group, depending whatever you want to call it. But I think that's crucial. Um, and be willing to forgive yourself for the things that you've done. I think that's one of wow. the biggest things. It, it starts with, you know what, and not regretting the things that you've done. All you can do is move forward and be the best version of yourself. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, you said a mouthful, Doc. <laughs> who I am now, who I want to be, how do I get there, and how can I surround myself with people who will hold me accountable? How will I then 
excuse myself from my former mistakes and how do I continue moving forward? Right. I think and that's how you create a revolution. That's how you create a re- that's how you create your personal revolution. It is. You cannot hold yourself you you have to hold yourself accountable but you have to be able to forgive yourself for the things that you've done. Knowing that you can be a better version of yourself. Wow. 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 Excellent. Okay. Powerful information. Uh, tell us a little more about how people can get in contact with you. I know they can go to your SoundCloud page, and I've been showing that on our podcast. So people who watch the video version of the podcast will get a chance to see the SoundCloud page. What are some other ways that people can see your content and get in contact with you? So you can check me out on Twitter, which is my Twitter handle is WY Revolution. You can check me out on Instagram. And Instagram is um, at What's Your Revolution. And the Facebook page for my company is WY Revolution LLC. Okay. I'm going to your Twitter page now. Okay. That's it. Okay. Uh, who are these gentlemen? Uh, is this in NOLA? That's in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. The, uh, the gentleman right next to me is actually the current mayor, Mayor Mitch Landrieu. And okay. I, was on, I was on a panel for his NOLA, NOLA for Life initiative where I spoke. That was uh, about a year and a half ago. I can't remember who the other gentlemen are. They're all respected. They're all respected professors, doctors in their respective fields. All right. So on Instagram, uh, you mentioned that it was different than. It's What's Your Revolution? W H A T S Y O U R. Okay. <laughs> this is this is uh, embarrassing to me because sometimes people get a chance to see me misspelling. <laughs> Spell check was my friend. Oh, okay, okay. I did get the right one. Good. Yeah. Good. Oh, I see one of our good. Green Run Stallion staff here, Mr. Hicks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I, I go, I go around asking people what their revolution is. Okay, okay. All right. I love what I see. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. Okay. Oh, full disclosure for our listeners. Uh, Charles is one of my line brothers. <laughs> All right. So we have Instagram. We did your Twitter. We did your SoundCloud. And what's the last one we want to hit very quickly? Uh, Facebook and basically Facebook is just uh, has the same content same content that you'll see on Instagram and Twitter so it's uh, WY Revolution LLC okay great great alright well Dr. Corpru it's been great talking with you it's going to I say your, your conversation has really caused me to rethink some of the directions that I'm moving in and probably giving me some strategies that I can definitely use to create my own revolution and I hope it was the same for everyone else who listened and the great thing is you personalized it it wasn't this is what you need to do you said this is what I'm doing these are the things I'm struggling with these are the things that I'm working on and I think you can benefit from it too that's kind of what I got out of it you know uh, personal revolution leads to global revolution brother and that's what it's all about Ooh, say that one more time personal revolution leads to global revolution All right, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly.